Morning, everyone. Hey, I'll tell you what, this is, uh, for some of you, this is some of the most exciting time of the year, right? And the busiest. And for many, it's the most hectic. And uh, we were out yesterday, and um, Target had a, if you didn't know about it, everything was 10% off the store for the big breach of security fiasco that happened at Target. How many took, how many took advantage of the 10% off at Target? How many didn't know that there's 10% off at Target? It's still on today, so there's my little Christmas gift to you. Um, but it was crazy. It was crazy in the, in, in the parking lot. And um, they say that uh, the, the number one place where most dis- disputes happen and fights break out are in parking lots. And I was part of, not part of one, uh, though I was close to being part of one yesterday, um, a woman was walking in the crosswalk and a lady had to get to where she was going and just flew by this woman and missed her by this much. She, she slowed down and the woman that was walking through the crosswalk had some choice words for her and the window, lady in the car rolled down her window and actually said, what do you think you were doing? She was, I was walking across the crosswalk. And so I got the lady in the car in a headlock and I taught her some manners. So, and then, and then I said, Merry Christmas. Jesus loves you. Okay. So we know that this is just a hectic time of the year and, and it's a wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And, but it can be the most distracting. It can be the most hectic. And if we're not careful, how many know that we can just, this season can go by and, and we can really, really miss the most important part of the season and, and, and why we gather together as a family of God and why we worship Jesus and what's so important about his incarnation and Jesus coming to earth. And so that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the purpose of Christ coming to this earth. And this is the most, the greatest miracle that the world has ever seen, where God himself came in human flesh to show us the way. And what's so interesting about, about our God, about Jesus Christ, is in the way that he came. It's interesting. He, he, he came to earth, was, was born to a very poor couple, Mary and Joseph, who traveled to Bethlehem, who couldn't find any place to give birth to the Savior of the world. So they were born in a stable, and Jesus was placed in a manger, most likely amongst other animal and cattle. And that's the way the Savior came to this world. That's pretty amazing to me, if you ask me. He wasn't born in a palace. He was placed in a manger and born in a stable. And I think the reason why God chose that most humblest and and meager ways of being born is for this very reason. Jesus comes into all our messes. Jesus comes to right where we are. Jesus can relate to you right where you are. If Jesus was born in a huge palace, I couldn't relate to him. You couldn't relate to him unless you live in a palace, um, but none of us could relate to that. But, but God chose for his son to be born in the meagerest, humble conditions so that he could relate to you and I. Jesus is a perfect savior in every way. What we've been studying over the last couple of weeks is, is looking a little bit into the Old Testament and the things that Jesus fulfilled because the Old Testament reveals for us the complexities and the depth of the Savior that was born to us 2,000 years ago. And we understand over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying how Jesus fulfilled three primary major offices that we see 
in the Old Testament, which is prophet, priest, and king. And God spoke through the prophets. He spoke truth to our hearts and the waywardness of our hearts and, and how we needed God. So he worked through the prophets to speak truth. Jesus came as that perfect prophet to speak truth to our heart. That he said that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And he didn't come for the righteous, but he came for the unrighteous. For the sick are the ones who need a doctor. And Jesus came to save us from our sin and how we were all destitute without Christ. But today we're going to look at something a little bit different. We're going to look at how Jesus came to fulfill the office of king. Now, as we read in the Old Testament, we understand that God worked through many kings. Many of them were corrupt. Some of them were good. But the kings were to compassionately lead their people, to cover them, to protect them. And and if a king was a good king, he would listen to God. He would listen to God's ministers, the priests, and he would obey the will of the Lord to protect the people. He was Lord over the people. They would, he would have to answer to God for the people and he would lead the people in what they should do. And they were to be submissive to the king and his rule. And what we see in the word of God is that we understand that Jesus came in the form of a baby. And we know that he grew up, that he led the way. He led his people back to God. He gave his life on the cross. We understand that through the word of God, we know that he died and he was risen three days later through the resurrection. And we now know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God in all authority. However, Jesus is coming back. And he promised his followers that he would come back. But his, his second coming is, is not going to be in the form of a baby. It's not going to be in the form of coming in a manger in the most humble existence. He's going to come back as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will rule this world. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess That Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question, amen, good. The question I want to ask for you this morning is, it's not necessarily is Jesus Savior over your life? Because many people like that word Savior because we all need a Savior because we've all made a mess of our lives. We've all made mistakes in our lives that we regret. We have guilt in our past. And Jesus came to save us from those guilt and condemnation that, that, that is the result of sin. And so we, we, we like Jesus as Savior because we know that he comes to rescue us. Who does not like to be rescued out of a predicament? We, we, we all need a Savior. And so as Jesus being our Savior, we understand that he rescued us from the greatest deficit in our life as, as sin. And there's no way we could have ever rescued ourselves from the bonds and the slavery of sin. But the question I want to ask you this morning is I hope Jesus is savior of your life. But the question I want to ask you, is he Lord? You see, that's the harder question. It's the lordship question. Who is going to rule your life? And see, I think for all of us here today, we like to answer to ourselves. We want to make our own decisions. And the pride that's within each... every one of our hearts is a pride that says, I want to do it my way. You can do it your way. Your way is the best way. I did it my way. 
as old blue eyes sang, right? But you know what? That's a bad song. <laughs> as much as I love Frank Sinatra. It's, it's not, am I going to do it my way? The question is, am I going to do it God's way? And so what we're going to dive into this morning is we're going to look at the story in Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your, your Bibles, you can use the Bibles in the front of the seats there. I just want you to put your finger on Matthew chapter 2. And, and what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at how Jesus, being Lord and being King, was worshipped by an odd group of people that you would not think would worship Jesus as Lord. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at how Jesus is that perfect king. Now, how many of you, you you've got a, a manger scene in your house? You know, you've got a manger scene or maybe out in, in, in front of your house. Um, and I know with most manger scenes, you, you, you've got, you got the, the manger there. You've got uh, Mary and Joseph. You've got Joseph with the staff. And he's looking over, you got the little halo over Jesus, right? Little halo. And he's, a, he's suspended out of the manger a little bit, right? It's very glorious, right? There's a light just on Jesus. And then you got the, the cows over here and, and you, you've got, they're, they're lowing. The cows are lowing, whatever that means. They're lowing, right? And, and then you've got some other, you got some goats maybe over here. And then you've got the shepherds, right? And they're there and, and they're kneeling. And then, then you got these weird dudes in the background with these turbans, right? And, and people think that they're kings, but the Bible says that they're wise men. Let me just say this. That's a wrong scene, okay? So let, let's get all our manger scenes right, okay? We're going to get them all correct here because what we understand from Scripture is the wise, the wise men didn't come for another two years. They came to a house. I know I'm gonna, some of you are like, Pastor, say it ain't so. Please. You mean the Charlie Brown Christmas special was wrong or whatever? Okay, listen. Let's get this right. The, so what you're going to do is this. You're going to all go home, and you're going to take the wise men, and you're going to put them in the garage. Okay? And you're going to tell your kids and your family they're on their way. It's going to take them a little while. But they're on their way and they'll be here in another two years. Okay, so we're all going to get to, I'm just, if you want to put the, if you want to put the wise men out there, that's fine. I'm just, just messing with you this morning. But let's look at the scripture here, Matthew chapter two. And, and I want to read this for you because what's interesting about this is you have these wise men that travel hundreds of miles because they've come to understand that there is a Messiah, a king that has been born to the Jews and to them, this is a big deal. These men coming from a completely different society, completely different culture, coming to worship this baby born of the Jews. And so let's read the account in Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the Magi or, or the wise men. And I'm going to read it from the New International Version this morning. And let's look at chapter 2, and we're just going to look at the account here. Starting with verse 1, And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. Not, not just a star. Isn't that interesting? The wise men said they saw his star. So they were privy to something here. They knew something was up. And we're going to I'm going to explain that to you in just a minute. 
We saw his star in the east, and we've come to do what? To worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together the, the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. This is how they answered. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means are least among the rulers um, of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, out of you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, And go and make careful search of the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. We know that's not what he wanted to truly do. Verse 9. And then they had heard the king, and they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming into the house, okay, that's where we get that they came about about two years later. And they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, myrrh, frankincense. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Lord, I just pray that you would just reveal to us this morning who you are and that you are king and that you are Lord. And that for every heart that's here today, God, that has, that has something that's blocking that or every mind that's here today that has not understood that or conceived who you are, I pray that minds and hearts would be open to who Jesus truly is and that we would be like these wise men, that we would bow our hearts and we would worship you, not just as our savior, but ultimately as our Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So what we, what, what's the deal here? Well, what did these men come to worship? Well, they came to worship a king. A king has been born. And so somehow these foreign visitors understood the sign that was spoke, spoken of a king that was to be born in Jerusalem. And so they saw the star and they began to follow it. Now, these men from Persia most likely, I believe, understood ancient prophecy about Jesus. How else would they have understood where to go and who to worship? Now, I want you to remember something. That hundreds of years before this, Israel was taken captive by Babylon. And they were exiled to Babylon themselves. And with that, what, what many foreign countries would do is they would take the smartest and brightest people of that country and use them within their own country. And one of those bright and smart people that were exiled to Babylon was Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel was brought there. And Daniel was very wise and very smart and was trained in all the Babylonian ways. Now, these wise men were much like that. that they, they understood astronomy. They were, they were very skilled scientists. They, very, they were wise men. 
very smart, very well-educated. They, they most likely understood these ancient scriptures. And I believe that maybe through Daniel and through these exiles, the scriptures were brought into Babylon, which eventually Persia would take over Babylon. And that maybe these ancient scriptures from Israel and from, from God's word were brought there and they read the scriptures themselves. And, and what's interesting, there's, a, there's an ancient prophecy in the book of Numbers, in the Pentateuch, in Numbers 24, 17, that says this. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, a star shall come forth out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Can I have an amen? And what's interesting about this, maybe they understood these prophecies. So, so whatever this star was, it was a supernatural thing that caused these men to search out Jesus. You know, there, there's been all these shows on the History Channel. Was it a comet? Who cares? Who cares what it was? There was something that, that, that they saw that, that, that caught their attention, that they understood there's something going on this way and we need to go and we're going to seek this out because of these scriptures and these ancient scriptures that they understood that they saw for themselves. And so what they did is they began to seek this king. And so what? They mounted themselves up and they began to travel hundreds of miles to Jerusalem to find out for themselves. And so when they came to Jerusalem... No one knew what they were talking about. They're like, what are you talking about? King Herod uh, got the chief priests and the scribes together. And the scribes looked into the scripture. And they understood that a ruler would come to shepherd his people. And so the wise men asked, where is the king of the Jews? And the chief priest and the scribes would understand this title. And it would be associated with the Christ or the Messiah, and that's why they understood this ancient prophecy of Micah, that he would be born in Bethlehem. So they said, well, why don't you check out Bethlehem? Because this is what our scriptures have said. Now, here is the interesting point. The interesting thing here is the reaction of Herod and Jerusalem. You would think there would be great rejoicing you would think people were like, wow, this scripture has just been fulfilled. There are these wacky looking guys from another country that have come in to worship this king. You think that would have piqued their curiosity, wouldn't you? You think they would have sought this, this Christ child out themselves, but instead they were troubled. They were bothered. Why? Why was Herod bothered? Because Herod was so corrupt. He didn't want this king to disturb his little kingdom. Why was all Jerusalem troubled? Because this is going to disturb their lives. You see, when we hear the truth of Christ and him being Savior, and that, and that actually he is king and actually he is Lord, that comes in stark contrast to our very hearts, doesn't it? Because who's going to be Lord over my heart? Who's going to be Lord over my life? Is it going to be me? Or is it going to be Jesus? And these people and, these, and Herod didn't like that at all. You think everyone would be rejoicing, but they were bothered. King Herod was bothered. Why? Because this king, this true king, would expose their corruption. And would expose what they're really putting their 
trust in. And so these Gentiles came to worship a true king, the one who should be rejoicing, the ones who understood the scriptures were the ones that were bothered. You would think that if you got good news that the Messiah was born and that you knew where it was, that people would run to find him and worship him like the wise men. In fact, Jerusalem to Bethlehem is about six miles. That's it. That's it. But nobody bothered to travel the six miles, including Herod, except these wise men. And they were truly wise. So what does it mean to have Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over our lives? What does it mean to have Jesus rule over everything? That we understand that Jesus rules over both the material and the immaterial. And so what's the correct way to respond to the Lordship of Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Not just responding to him being Savior, because to me, that's the easy part. The hard part is responding to Jesus as Lord. Are you really going to be Lord? Either you're Lord of all or you're not Lord at all. That's the hard part. And what I see in these wise men is they responded correctly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three things on how to correctly respond to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to the kingship of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you is that it would... It would touch your hearts and that you would respond correctly to his lordship. And if there is some lordship issues in your life today, we're going to get it settled. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're going to get some lordship issues, right? I'm not talking about savior issues. I'm talking lordship issues because we all like talking about the savior part. That makes us all feel warm and fuzzy and let's join hands and sing kumbaya, right? That's wonderful. But I'm going to mess with you this morning, all right? Can I mess with you? Okay, three of you. So that's all right. We're going to mess with your lordship issue stuff. And, and, and it's going to be tough and it's going to hurt. But you know what? It's going to be freeing. Because when Jesus is truly Lord over your life, it sets you free. And so he desires to be Lord over everything. So how did they respond correctly to the lordship? Let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, what did they do? With these wise men, if you're taking notes, you can, you can just jot these things down. The first thing they did was, is they laid down their lives to seek him out. It's the first thing they did. They laid down their lives. The question we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus Lord over my life? Have I laid down my life to follow him? See, this isn't an important question we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, well, how does this actually look? What does it mean to have Jesus Lord and King over my life? Because here's the mistake we can make. We can fall into the trap of telling Jesus where he can rule. So we can say like, Jesus, you can be king over my religious life, my Sunday life. When I go to church, I'll honor you, but, but, but don't get too involved in my personal life, right? See, see, we're a country that is very religious. In fact, 80% of our country says they believe in God. They say they they follow God, however, whatever that means. 
But if I were to ask and take a poll on how many people truly have Jesus Lord over their lives, I guarantee that percentage would drastically go down. Because, because we can be very religious in the right things. But is Jesus really Lord over my personal life? See, in order to have him king over our life, it must rule over everything. And what I love about these wise men is we don't understand the risks that they took by traveling from a foreign country in the lands that they had to go through to risk their very lives to seek someone that wasn't their own king. Isn't that interesting? What did they care about someone who wasn't their people? Something intrinsically inside them, which was God, drove them to worship this king to do this. Catch me. Ready? The wise men, these Gentiles, were used by God to reveal the corruption of God's very own people. That's good preaching. I'm about to preach right now, okay? So stand back. I'm going to start preaching now, all right? See, see what I'm saying? God used these men from afar to risk their very lives to come into Jerusalem to mess it up. And guess what? Sometimes we need our lives messed up a little bit. We get a little bit too comfortable with the way we live. We, we, we can deal with the Christmas carols and the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and that's all nice. But we start talking about Jesus as Lord, and we start talking about Scripture and what God calls sin. People get in trouble, don't they? We saw that last week in the news. Somebody got in trouble for standing up for the Word of God, right? Come on, people. Come on. 830 crowd that shoveled and scraped the ice off your cars this morning. Follow me here. So, so why don't we allow Jesus to rule? Because what it happens is, is when we don't allow Jesus to really rule over our lives, it actually causes us to live in shame and privacy. And so what Jesus does is he invades every part of our life. Jesus as King and Lord has to invade every part, my spiritual, my personal, my financial. It's, it's got to be every part. It just can't be one part or the other. He's got to invade every part of my life. And for these wise men, what they did was they allowed Christ to invade every part of life because they risked everything and travel hundreds of miles, risk their very lives to seek this king out. Now, we, we run the, the risk of saying that there was only three wise men because of the three gifts. But I don't believe that they gave them three. He, they gave Jesus three gifts. But I believe this was a caravan of wise men. Because I don't think three people would have caused a stir in the town. I believe this is what happened. There was a posse of wise men that came strolling on in their camels, right, into town. And people are like, as they came through the city gate, they're like, who, who knows how many there were? And all of a sudden, people start, what is this group of people? And they shook that town up. And so I believe it was a huge caravan of wise men that came through Jerusalem. So they risked their lives. They came from afar. They laid their life down. The second thing I want you to see about them worshiping this king is they gave Christ an offering. They brought Jesus gifts. What were the gifts symbolic of? Could these men afford these gifts? Yeah. I don't think the gifts were so much the sacrifice for them, but it was symbolic 
of their worship. Follow me. True worship has to come with the sacrificial gift. Okay, you're, you're with me. Okay, follow me here. Because Follow me. I can give Jesus a lot of lip service and say, you're Lord and you're Savior. But true lordship is going to be seen in how I respond sacrificially to the Lord. Now, follow me here. That can be financial by me giving to the Lord financially because that's it, where it hurts us all is in the pocketbook. As my grandma Junie used to call it, the pocketbook, right? Um, or the wallet. That's where it hurts us the most. So me responding to Christ, when I respond with my worship, does God need my money? No, he's, he's the owner of a, millions of cattle on a thousand hills. That, that's not the point. The point is, when I give, it's an act of worship because when I give to the Lord, let's say financially, what I'm saying is, Jesus, you're Lord over my life. You are the owner of my finances. You give me everything for your glory. And by worshiping you, follow me here, I give back to you out of a sense of responsibility and obligation to worship you with joy in my giving because I'm responding to you as being Lord over my finances. Okay. I told you I was going to get, get, get in there this morning. Okay. I'm getting in there. Okay. So what these wise men did is they worshiped Jesus. They gave an offering and the offering was symbolic of their worship. You see, true worship will cost us something. We can't truly worship the king without giving up something. Okay. I don't have my little amen sticks up here, okay? So you're going to have to help me out here, okay? Those of you that remember those, okay? So listen, we we, we can't truly, he's not Lord unless we give up something. So the issue is, it's not that it's not that I give up everything and, and I just say, you know, God, here it is. It's all yours. And I just give up everything. What is it? There's an act of submission that says, God, everything is yours. And if you want me to give this up, I will. Amen. And I can remember that. I remember when I was a, a, a teenager and I just, the end of my senior year, I just got really addicted to playing tennis. And I just, I, I Saved up my money. I didn't even go to my senior prom because I didn't want to waste money on a tux and all this other stuff. I saved up all my money. And I bought this really nice tennis racket and I just wanted to play tennis and that's all I did all summer. And I just played tennis and I played tennis in college and I played tennis in high school. I was so excited about this, this black, John McEnroe's Black Max tennis racket that cost like 80 bucks back then. That was a lot of money in the 80s. And I just loved this racket because Johnny Mac played with it. I wanted it. And so I got this racket and I just loved it until I stuck in the back of the car when it was really hot out and it just, whatever. But anyways, I love this racket. So I can remember the Lord spoke to me, Barden, tennis is getting too much for you. You need to lay it down. I need to lay it down. It's just tennis. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just tennis. I enjoy playing tennis. And what the Lord spoke my heart through a message that someone spoke about lordship the Lord said, I want you to lay it down for a month. 
It's not that I want you to lay it down for your life, but I want you to lay it down for a month because I need to be Lord over your life. And for that month, I concentrated on the Lord. And then out of that month, when I came back to playing tennis, I had a new perspective. It wasn't that idle or that problem anymore that it used to be. And sometimes the Lord is going to say, am I really Lord over your heart and life? Because I may ask you to lay some things on, not because I want to be mean, not because I want to take joy out of your life. In fact, I want to increase the joy in your life. So when I came out of that month, in fact, my joy for tennis actually increased, but it increased in the right way. That wasn't the fulfillment anymore. The fulfillment was, Lord, I want to glorify you in everything I do now. So if I can play, great. If I can't, no big whip. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, worship is about giving us something. Worship is about, God, am I willing to lay it down? And so when I worship Jesus, I, I turn my eyes off myself and my selfishness and my desires and those things I give up. But the, the, the opposite happens when I give those things up is I gain so much more. And so when I serve Jesus, when I give financial, and when I'm, when I'm, what I'm doing is I'm worshiping him and I'm denying myself. And we can't say to Jesus, you can have this, but you can't have this. People, if that's your attitude, it's a lordship issue. It's not, I'm not saying it's a salvation issue. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you're not a follower of Christ, that Christ hasn't saved you. What I'm saying is it's a lordship issue. Are you going to submit to the lordship of Christ when he speaks to your heart? So by these wise men bowing down and worshiping Jesus as king and giving their gifts, their gifts were symbolic of their worship. True worship will cost you something. It's a lordship issue. And the last thing that I love that these wise men did is they went a different way home. Now let me take a little liberty here if you would allow me to. Um, they understood through a dream that don't go back to Herod because this man is wicked and evil and, and don't go back that way. And I began to think about this, that, that when we meet Jesus and we come to a saving knowledge of him and he becomes Lord over our lives, things cannot remain the same. And some of you, you understood that when you came to Christ and you bowed your heart to him, your life wasn't the same. You began to walk down a different road. You traveled, your traveling was not down the same road. And after, after that, Jesus changed everything. Instead of serving ourselves, we now know him as king and we begin to submit to his will. And I understood that as a teenager, at just getting ready to turn 16, when Jesus became Lord over my life and I bowed my knee to him as savior over my life, it was on a Wednesday night and I went to school on Thursday. And the minute I walked through the doors of West Toronto High School, things were different. Not that I wasn't perfect or that Christ still isn't working in my heart then as he is working in my heart today. But it was a different road. And I can remember walking through those doors. And Christ saying to me, Barton, it's not going to be the same anymore. It's different. And it was. Christ changed my life. And so I began to walk down a different road. I didn't use the same language I used before. I, 
I, I guarded my heart against things that I used to open my heart to. Things were different. I was convicted about things that I never was convicted about before. Things changed. And the blessings that were heaped upon me were so much greater than anything that I had before I met him. You see, we all still make mistakes. But we know we can find forgiveness in Christ, but it's not the same road. I can't walk down that same road again. When we encounter who Jesus is and we encounter the Lordship of Christ, we cannot walk down that same road again. Because if we do, let me just say this, if we do, you'll be miserable. There used to be a song, Billy Graham used to sing it, a lot of his crusades and the song was basically I have decided to follow Jesus and I used to sing it in our youth group it was a great altar call song for people to come to Christ but there's one part of that song if you guys remember the song I have decided to follow Jesus there's one part that says no turning back no turning back the wise men left and they never looked back they went a different way And thank God, God spoke to a dream and they flee that place because their lives were in danger and Herod did a horrible thing in Bethlehem and you can read the rest of the story there. I tell people all the time, the greatest distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches between your mind and your heart. And I read this story the other day. It just really really touched my heart because it's so true of how we can miss Christ through all the stuff that goes on during the season. And here Jesus is screaming out to us that I am Lord, that I am Savior, that I'm the one that fulfilled all these prophecies about me. I am Lord, I am Savior. These wise men understood that, but yet God's own people who were reading the word of God, who expected him to come, didn't make room for him. Just as there was no room for Jesus in the inns, there was no room for Jesus in Jerusalem in the people's hearts. And I'm afraid what can happen in our lives is we're going to get to the end of our lives and we begin to do our own thing. We really don't make Jesus Lord of our lives. And we look back with regrets because we say, you know what? I heard about Jesus. I heard speaking about Jesus, but yet I never made him room. And I missed him by a short distance. There's a story of a woman named Florence May Chadwick. Florence May was an incredible woman. I like her because she was a swimmer and I was a swimmer in high school. And so I appreciate the accomplishments that Florence made. Florence, May, uh, Florence was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways in 1950. And so she was going to do another great swim. This time in 1952, she was going to swim the channel between Catalina Island and the California coast which is 26 miles apart. Now, if any of you ever swam, that's a long distance in the water. Not only that, this waters were shark infested. In the cold waters off Canalita Island, she jumped in and she had boats alongside of her. And for 15 hours, she swam. And she swam. And she swam. She was getting exhausted and tired. And what happened is if you've been to... California, the marine layer came in and there was a huge fog and she couldn't see where she was going. And she goes, I'm going to swim one more hour. She swam one more hour and she gave up. And as she gave up and as she went to the boat, what she didn't realize is once the fog lifted, 
She was only a mile from the coastline. She was only a mile. She swam 25 miles. She swam a marathon for 16 hours and she missed her destination by one mile. How many of us here are going to miss Jesus by one mile? How many of us are going to miss? Listen, this is a lordship issue. And some of you here today, either you need to bow to the lordship of Christ because you've been playing that mm-mm-mm with Jesus. Eh, yeah, I can take it or leave it. But Jesus is calling you today by saying you need to lay your life down. And this is what we're going to do today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make an appeal two ways. One, for those of you that say, you know what? I've got a lordship issue with Jesus. I need to make that right. And we're going to make that right. For some of you here today, there are some things in your life that Jesus is asking you to lay down that have become the source of your security that you've obsessed about that is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is telling you, you need to lay that down and make it a lordship issue. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to sing this beautiful, wonderful hymn of the church, crown him with many crowns. And what we're going to do is we're singing that song. I've got the manger up here today. And what we're going to do is for those of you that feel a sense that God is calling you to do that, I'm going to have you come forward and make it right before the manger today. I want you to make it right before Jesus today and get that lordship thing settled. Amen? Hey, we're all family here, right? There's no one that's perfect here. We all got our mess. We're all messed up. We all got our dysfunctions. Listen, Jesus is calling you because he wants to bless your life. And let me tell you one thing. When those wise men left that manger, that house, that crib, wherever Jesus was, they were changed. They were changed. Because you can't be changed unless you truly understand who Jesus is. And Jesus wants to change you today. And so when you come face to face with him, he changes your life life. Amen. So let's stand. And uh, we're going to sing this unto the Lord. I'm going to call you to come forward and let's just get this Lordship issue right before God. And uh, we're going to sing this unto the Lord. And we're going to thank Jesus for being that King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to make it personal by responding to Christ and allowing him not just to sing about it, but actually to make him Lord over my life. So Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace. But Lord, today is is a decision that we need to make. A decision to make you Lord. A decision to say, Jesus, I want you to rule and reign over every part of my life. So as we respond to you, we thank you for your patience and we know the blessings that come when we bow our hearts before you. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be a change in our hearts and our attitudes, that as we bow our hearts before you today, we would get this lordship issue down. So, Jesus, be Lord over our lives. As we crown you, 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we want to put that crown over our hearts today and crown you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this unto the Lord. I want you to respond and let's just come before the Lord and just settle this issue before God. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Yeah.
before you and we close this time together we just ask for your forgiveness when we make things more important than you we know that you've given us everything we need that you laid your life down that you be actually became a servant that you actually gave your life for us that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God and by putting our faith in you we can find healing and forgiveness of our sin but Lord then there's the part of living our lives in response to that grace that you've given us. And Jesus, you want to rule and reign over our hearts and our lives, over our actions, over our words, over our finances. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us each and every day about the things that we've set before you. Forgive us of those things and allow us to have you seated in the right place in our hearts above everything else. So we thank you for your patience and your grace and your love and your mercy that's there every single day. So God, I pray during this Christmas season, we wouldn't forget who you are. That we would see that you're the soon and coming king, the Lord of Lords. So God, may, may we not just look to that wonderful event when you will come and rule and reign, but today, may you rule and reign over everything in our hearts as we look forward to you coming and ruling and reigning over this world. So we thank you, Jesus, for all you do for us. And it's your name we ask these things. And it's your name we ask these things. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning for his word. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Christmas. Amen, go in God's grace, amen.